In good news, the United States Supreme Court resisted the temptation to obliterate American democracy. We'll revel briefly in this sense of relief. Is Putin in trouble? We'll try to make some sense of this weekend's short-lived mutiny. CNN and the New York Times have obtained audio of Trump sharing classified documents, and it's every bit the smoking gun you expected, and frankly, kind of hilarious. Then RFK Jr.'s appearance on Rogan has touched off a discussion on a question Majority 54 listeners asked themselves often, when is a debate helpful? This is Majority 54. Jason, I feel like there's so much going on right now in the world, but let's start with the best news that we've received all week. Yeah, let's do more v. Harper. Um, okay, so for for the quick refresher, a lot of our listeners, I think, have, have heard this a lot, but we'll do a very quick refresher. This is the independent state legislature theory case out of North Carolina that basically argues uh, that state lawmakers make the rules about federal elections. Now, it's in this case, it's grounded in redistricting and in gerrymandering. But the big risk here is the idea that state lawmakers, state reps, state senators get to decide what happens with regard to federal elections and that their their state Supreme Courts can't do anything about it. So that's very dangerous for a lot of obvious reasons, which I'll get into more in a second. What's interesting about this decision is that the Supreme Court could have punted because the North Carolina Supreme Court, their Republican majority came in and reversed the ruling. So the, the U.S. Supreme Court could have been like, this is moot. It doesn't matter anymore. So we're not going to rule on it. But they chose to rule on it, which made a lot of people really nervous. People on the right who wanted the independent state legislature theory, but mostly people on not even the right, like the whole section between the middle and the left who were like, this is crazy. And this is a crazy Supreme Court. Are they going to blow up American democracy? Here's what I mean. Uh, independent redistricting in the states that have done it could potentially be dead if this were to happen. Because if you believe that state lawmakers can do whatever they want with regard to federal elections and that state Supreme Courts and state courts in general can't tell them that they're wrong, well, that means that states that have created independent redistricting commissions, uh, if if the if a Republican legislature comes in or a Democratic one and says, we don't care about that independent redistricting commission, we're going to go ahead and just overrule it, the state court couldn't say that they're wrong. And in addition to that, there are there are, there are states like North Carolina, and there are others that this is happening through referendum that have bans in their state constitutions on partisan gerrymandering, which is not a thing that exists at the federal level. There's been no cases at the Supreme Court that have ever created a ban on partisan gerrymandering, but some states have that. And this would make that completely irrelevant if it only has to do with what state legislatures want and nothing to do with what state courts say about what state legislatures are doing with regard to elections. And what's even more dangerous is that if this were to be ratified by the Supreme Court, then you could even get down a road where electors uh, are chosen in a way that's up for grabs as opposed to the way it is now. So like you could have a presidential election and then it could be like, oh, actually, the legislature gets to choose. Uh, how their electors from the state vote. Uh, and then you're in real chaos, which it turns out is why, it's part of why the Supreme Court went ahead and, and ruled on the case because they wanted to get out ahead of the, uh, of the 2024 presidential election and stave off a lot of chaos. Um, so Ravi, like, I have yeah. thoughts, but what are yours on yeah, why I, I, they didn't do the bad thing? I'm really interested in your perspective because for people who are relatively new to the podcast, you were Secretary of State in Missouri, which means you administered their elections, among other things. So I imagine you have a lot of thoughts about what this means in practice. I think I agree with, with what you said in terms of this Supreme Court, I think, did not want 
any ambiguity heading into the next election about this independent state legislature theory, right? And it goes beyond redistricting, right? Because a lot of the redistricting claims are are resolved ahead of the election. I think what they didn't want was a series of uh, spurious court cases like we saw last time uh, disputing the election or, God forbid, if we're an electoral college mess, uh, you know, where state legislators decide they're going to like ignore the will of the people and send electors based on their preferences, et cetera. The Supreme Court has basically shut the door to that, thank God. Um, and I'm glad it was 6-3. Like, I wish it were 9-0, mm-hmm. but I'm glad it was 6-3 because in no foreseeable circumstance anytime soon is that going to flip. And, you know, it's worth mentioning that Thomas... Alito and Gorsuch were the dissenters. Thomas and Bush v. Gore had endorsed some version of this theory. So he's, we kind of know where he stands on this. But like, I think in the world where we're kind of counting the crazy on the Supreme Court, those are the three we continue to, you know, we should continue to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I clearly, um, and I saw an article today that was about how, you know, the next presidential election could, uh, the next presidential administration could see, or term could see, uh, some retirements among conservatives. And it listed how like, you know, uh, Thomas is in his seventies and so is Alito. And I, and I'm like, I mean, I'm not trying to, well, anyway, it, it's like, yeah, they could leave, but like if they die, like, I mean, it's right. the idea that they're going to just retire in the middle of a democratic administration, the way that's just not going to happen for one thing, unless they want to go live at Harlan Crow's. Yeah. Uh, well, that's know, the place. one thing that'll push them out is if we really get strict about these ethics reforms, you know, yeah, but then you know, it would be funny. It's not like that taxing of a job. I don't it, think it'd be funny if they retire. And then these people like Harlan Crow are like, well, you're not useful anymore. I'm not sending, I'm not, <laughs> you're not, your seat on the jet is no longer oh. yours. Well, <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt that's what would happen. Like they're not, yeah. there's, there's not like an emeritus, uh, you know, influence program over there. Um, yeah. Well, I, in looking at it, I think Justice Roberts would have found this theory nutty at any point. Like, I think that, you know, if Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett go the other way, you end up with a 5-4 decision to destroy American democracy because I don't think Roberts was going to go. But it is a relief that the other two did. And what I don't know is whether they just were like, hey, let's not be the same court uh, that ruled in the Taney decision uh, and thought, oh, well, we're avoiding civil, you know, like who or in the uh, in the Dred Scott decision. Let's maybe (laughs) maybe they were like, let's not be that court or maybe. They were like, hey, we're getting a ton of criticism, both for our ethics uh, stuff right now, but also for the fact that we're a bunch of conservative hacks. And I I do think that that influenced uh, some of the, uh, you know, like Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett, who aren't in their 70s and and would have to live through this America. I do think that had to do with it a little bit. Yeah. One of the biggest issues in our time is partisan gerrymandering. And there was this case in 2019 called Rucho versus Common Cause, where the Supreme Court basically said that federal courts can't consider claims of partisan gerrymandering. But what was interesting about this particular case is that uh, Roberts in his decision said state courts can still address partisan gerrymandering if their own state laws and constitutions address it. So mm-hmm. that's the route to stopping partisan gerrymandering right now with this current court is they're allowing state courts to jump in. And the law part of it's going to be tricky, especially in states like North Carolina, where we don't have a, a clear path to a majority soon. Um, 
and there we lost the Supreme Court too. But let's look at a state like Wisconsin, for example. It's incumbent now upon the judges in those state Supreme Courts to look at their constitutions and really find a justification to end partisan gerrymander, which I think in most cases there are, right? Like you take it to its logical extreme. This is why I was disappointed with the 2019 case with Supreme Court. It's like at a certain point where the legislators are picking the voters more with more and more precision, it's basically making elections irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. Like elect, elect, uh, the voters have no will and that is clearly unconstitutional. Yeah. And well, and Wisconsin's a, a important one to bring up because there is a part in Robert's majority opinion where he, he alludes to the idea that this doesn't give the state courts free reign, that if, if, that if there is a state court that totally oversteps its bounds, then the federal court could come in and say, no, you gotta, you gotta um, yield to the legislature. And, and I saw one of the one of the leaders of the movement to actually bring the independent state legislature theory to the Supreme Court was saying that that means that the next case will come from Wisconsin because you have a liberal court there and they're saying that they'll do something that they believe will overstep its bounds and then they'll get to course correct. And so they have to be extremely careful um, because they did leave room for that. Yeah, I read Roberts a little differently, which is... Yes, I think he was definitely throwing a brushback pitch to liberals, but I think he was also throwing a brushback pitch to conservatives too. I think part of what he was but saying maybe. is like there there is conservative Supreme Courts too out there, and I think part of what he's saying is, look, if you just ignore your state law, like mm-hmm. we're 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 not relinquishing our responsibility, and I think that's the right thing to say. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. you know, because also- you could see it going either way. It's also important to rehash one time for everybody just how nutballs crazy this independent state legislature theory actually is and how scary it is that we had to be really scared that the supreme court was gonna uh, like say yeah we're we're on board with this which is it is literally saying that the state legislature can do whatever it wants with federal elections and that the state supreme court doesn't have the right to interpret its own state constitution to decide whether or not what the legislature did was constitutional under, which by the way, all of these things we're talking about, the state Supreme Court, the state legislature, they exist because they were created by the state constitution. <laughs> and this is like saying the whatever the legislature does on this subject, the state Supreme Court cannot say whether it's within the rules of the document that created both, which is like the whole concept of constitutional democracy in this country. Uh, 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 it's like the whole concept of checks and balances. And right. they were like, this doesn't apply to this one thing. And we were like, oh no, the Supreme Court may agree. Like, so that it's still pretty frightening. I think it's worth mentioning, and definitely not for the first time, that those three guys, especially Alito and Thomas, and potentially Gorsuch, but definitely Alito and Thomas are political operatives, period. Like they're political operatives who are receiving funds from the conservative billionaires as if they're super, they're like basically super human super PACs sitting on the Supreme Court. And, um, and they are people with both personal gripes. If you look at Alito's confirmation hearings and, and Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearing, and they're, they're people with personal gripes, ideological gripes, tangled messes of conflicts of interests and at least appearances of impropriety uh, and puzzling series of decisions. And so 
uh, and just no attempt whatsoever to be above the fray and adhere to any ethical standards and transparency. They're very dangerous figures. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, All right, on to Putin. the next thing. Speaking of dangerous figures. Yeah. Or maybe not so dangerous, Jason. Maybe we were wrong about him. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're not a foreign policy podcast, so I don't want to get too into all the intrigue here. I think, but, I, but it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Like it was quite the weekend. It mm-hmm. seemed like for a second that there, I, I never thought this would even be a conversation because Putin seems so strong. But it seemed like he was in some real trouble. And I think the image people have of him has at least warped a bit. At least what what I've been reading all ever since is, is Putin in trouble? Is he weak? And I don't think it's baseless speculation. I mean, it's it's everything about this is puzzling. The fact that this this guy existed and like the whole world of sort of private armies in Russia was not one I fully understood. And there are like 10 different private armies in Russia, including one that Putin directly controls. Um, the fact that this guy could be a, his, you know, work his way up from basically uh, a, a lowly criminal to Putin's actual chef to his metaphorical chef to the guy who is running the misinformation campaigns to running a private army and then somebody who could tr- basically like rattle a saber at Putin and the military establishment and at least until this recording make it out alive with part of his private army intact the fact that Putin didn't kill this guy I mean there's just so many major questions I just I'm confused I you know what here's who I think also was confused over the weekend which to be honest is like uh American liberals who were like rooting for this guy yeah, um, because <laughs> Which, this guy's a total lunatic, to be clear. But you know, right, like, yeah. and and it's the whole like the enemy of my enemy is my like no, not always. Okay, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. like you know, and people. So like, is it potentially good news that Putin is weaker than we thought in Russia? Yes, in the sense that it might get you closer to the place where he has to eventually pull out of Ukraine, uh, maybe, particularly given that I would imagine a large part of why this guy had a rather an, a potentially successful military route to Moscow would have to do with the fact that like a lot of the military is in Ukraine, mm-hmm. right? Like, and a lot and, of their security dead, infrastructure. And being honest. And, or yeah. dead, yes. Yeah. I mean, we are talking about a guy who's fighting forces inmates because they're throwing everything at this, right? So there's that, okay? And can uh, I just say something about that before we move off of this? Sure. Like, this story, I think part of the story led a lot of people, including me, to do a little bit of a deep dive into what's actually happening over there. And I have to say, like, as much as I want Russia to lose this war, I really feel for the young people who are being thrown into this mess. It seems horrible. Absolutely horrible. And that's part of what this guy was reacting to, I think, organically, was that I think he was frustrated by how horribly the military and these private armies were being treated and supplied. I think somewhat. Well, that's see. This is what where I dis where I part from a lot of a lot of Americans on this, which is that I I assign absolutely no good intentions to this guy yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Um. Because while I think he may take advantage of of Russians who are tired of the war and have fatigue from it and are you know at this point 
everybody in Russia has lost someone they know, right, to this war. And very few of those people were gung-ho, even if they bought into the misinformation, which most probably do because it's pretty effective, were gung-ho about going to fight a war in Ukraine against people who ethnically and even linguistically are either the same or not far from them, right? There are literal families separated by this in some cases. So there's, I think he was going to use that as leverage, but I think personally, the reason that I look at this guy and know what I'm looking at is like, this is a guy who's like, I see an opportunity to be in charge. Yeah. And I, and unlike a, a lot of people I've sat across the table from a lot of warlords. Yeah. Um, like I, I, that's what this guy is. He's a warlord and warlords with very few exceptions do not have ideological agendas. Uh, I mean, who's the famous guy who was our ally after he was not our ally, but he wound up getting killed by the Taliban. Um, what was his name? Uh, No, he was our ally actually throughout Masood. Yeah. Um, Um, uh, he he seems to be the exception, at least. Like yes, he he's be, yeah. yeah. But, and well, and yes, because Masood was a revol. It's a great point. Masood was a revolutionary leader, and he and he was like he was the Mujahideen leader. He didn't come from. I could go on a real deep dive on this. I won't. I, I I'm um, doing this on purpose because I know it's like you asking me about surfing. It's yeah, like, it, it will be fifteen I could, minutes in. I know. could go on a really deep dive, but the but the. The thing with Masood was Masood was a guy who like he he never opted in on opulence or yeah. any of that stuff. Like he remained for the most part um, a true. And now like the the um, resistance in Afghanistan now is led by I think his son or his grandson. So oh, wow. so it's you know so so yeah it's very different. And and so this guy's a warlord. This guy's like oh great, this is my opportunity. I could be in charge of Russia. So the part where I feel like um, the, a lot of Americans, particularly American liberals, were being a little naive over the weekend is when they started rooting for this guy thinking he was Masood. He's yeah. not Masood. He's, uh, he's Putin, but maybe worse, probably worse. And he right. was about to be on, what, one of the three largest nuclear stockpiles yeah. in the universe? That's the <laughs> so, other thing is like, it's, I deliberately didn't tweet a thing about it because I do think the cliche critique of people being submarine experts and then being Russia experts was mm-hmm. dead on, and I didn't want to play into that stereotype. I also don't tweet that often, so that helps. But I think the but the other part of it was you were destined to not have a take that would age well given the risks involved here. Yeah. Like, and I, I think there's just too many things that can go wrong in a situation as volatile as that. And also, we just don't know anything. Like, it's not our country. It's not our language. It has no independent press. So we're relying upon the few good international bureaus that have contacts left in some of these places that have been doing God's work, but under the threat of extreme violence and repression. We're just, we just don't have a lot of info. I Here's what I do think we can take from it, which is that, and this is the one tweet about it that I sent, which is just that if Putin is going to go down, what people need to realize is it will be a military coup because that's, because that, and and so the reason I think people are naive, naive is like, I think what this guy was saying was we're not doing a good enough job in this war. Like he's yeah. like coming at it from yeah, the extreme. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and so the idea that he's going to stop prosecuting the war, I think is naive. However, um, 
I think when you are doing something like this, when you have the kind of uh, strength that Putin has, I guess politically would be a understatement. Um, what he has at his disposal is the security infrastructure of the state, and when if if at some point he loses that, that's when he's gone. Right, and and I think there was a world in which that could happen here but what we would what we can't ever know is whether that security infrastructure of the state if they turn on putin are they more or less hard line uh right. and we we I, I mean there's so many somebody knows i don't know to this right and i think and tom clancy novels jack ryan stories they're all <laughs> that's what they're all about right yeah, or think of even saddam hussein right if you think of the history yeah. of iraq was one strong man after another he just happened to be the strongest of the strong men left mm -hmm. and that that could have easily been what we were dealing with here uh i was a little bit i mean he is old uh so that's at least helpful the worst thing in the world would be like a 35 year old putin clone taking over and then we'd have to deal with this all over again which i'm sure is possible you know what you said i think resonates with me one of the smartest takes i heard i think it might have been an applebaum from the atlantic said you have to keep in mind that left-wing and centrist civil society in Russia has been completely wiped out. So the only possible threat to Putin left is going to come from the right. That's right. And that's scary. And it's just something we need to keep in mind here. You know, like that's where we are, either from the right or from outside, right? Like, but I don't think outside is in the cards right now. Who's going to come, you know, like the it's Ukrainians too. are going to stop at their border at best, it, you know? I mean, it's a massive country. Yeah, you know, and and so, uh, and the reason that left wing and, and and like middle ground society has been wiped out is because for a long time it was like those people were like, eh, you know, I'm making money. It's not it's not doable to overtake. I don't, you know, people like Navalny, like you know, most people are like, I'm not going to jail or going to be killed for yeah, this. Yeah, th those who did, like Anna Politskaya, like reporters, they were killed one at a time. Right. You know, and yeah. so. So that's the difference is like once they're gone or once you've you've sapped that momentum, you're absolutely right. It only comes from the right. So it is a scary it's the wor the only thing worse than Putin is his replacement. Right. Right. Um, well, all right. Okay. Well, speaking of warlords, we can get to that after the break. <laughs> all right. Should we take a break? And because this is a juicy thing coming out of the break. So let's do this. We. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to listen to the actual audio of Trump talking about these classified documents. I mean, what a treasure. Uh, then we're going to talk about uh, another crazy piece of audio, which is a, the three-hour-long interview of RFK Jr. from Rogan and the ensuing debate about debates that happened out of that. All of that and more when we come back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, I know right now for a lot of people, there's so much uncertainty out there in the world and the economy with jobs, about our politics. And when you're facing with tough choices, you know, often therapy can be super duper helpful. And what I love about BetterHelp is that it allows you to access therapy without a lot of the friction, right? You don't have to make that appointment that you have to see the person in a month from now and go into the office and see people. You could do it online. You can get matched with a licensed therapist really fast. And you could find people from all over the country uh, to help you. You don't have to just be confined to whatever town or whatever city uh, or whatever area you live in. And you don't have to deal with the awkwardness of having to go to a physical space and 
take that time out from your schedule and drive to the right place. So you should let therapy be your map and you should try BetterHelp. And you could visit betterhelp.com slash M54 today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash M54. Well... Jason, you want to tee this one up? I, we, we alluded to this. I think it, it was referenced in the document that there was this recording in 2021 of Trump talking about the classified documents that he had. Uh, and inevitably, this was going to come out. And we just cannot let this podcast go by without playing this clip. Yeah, this is pretty well classic Trump. Uh, like classic, uh, I don't know, classic deputy dog, like just, I don't know what the, what the dumbest like description I come up with is. <laughs> I've read before we came on the air, described it as him being like, look, here I am doing crimes, everyone. I, Donald J. Trump am doing crimes on this audio. Uh, and so it's pretty funny, but what I'd like to create for context for everybody is as he's clearly trying to clear his reputation about something that was said about him uh and that's why he's bringing out these documents as Which, i was by the way to nobody him, knows like he's right. talking about this beef with millie i'm like I, i'm sure there was it's hard to keep track of the many generals he offended over the years exactly and it's like it's like one of those things where he's bringing attention to something that he could have easily just ignored and nobody would care about Exactly. And that's what I want people to listen for is like, I vaguely remember what he's talking about, but only I only vaguely recall that while listening to the audio of him talking about it, which I guess in 2021, it felt more fresh to him. Maybe there'd just been a news story or something. But I kind of love that we've seen where Trump, uh, you know, is hanging himself with his own rope by being a jerk. We've we've or, or by being, uh, you know, too verbose and by lying and all that. And that's but this is just him being super petty. Yeah. And and it's going to get him in trouble. So anyway, enjoy. Bad, sick people. That, but, was, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started they, right at the like beginning. when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a coup. No, they, they were right. trying to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying to overthrow your life. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. secret. <laughs> this is secret information. But look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. <laughs> she'd, send it, no, she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner, yeah, yeah. the pervert. Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I was just saying because we were talking about it, <laughs> and you know, he said he wanted to attack Iran and what? Yeah, He's you did. It's pretty, it's pretty this was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably. Right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to. 
less figure out I, a, a, yeah. See, as president, I could have did less yeah. than that. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classic. Now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe it's you. It's incredible, right? No. They, hey, bring they some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. I mean, amazing. Like, I want to applaud. So at first you're listening and you're like, the nervous laughter from the writer is like, oh God, why are you showing me this? And then they just expose themselves, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. pretend for a second you believe Hillary did something similar, right? Which obviously yeah. is bullshit. Like, what's your moral framework here? You're, you're saying, oh, Hillary Clinton would have printed this out and showed it to Anthony Weiner. And what is Trump doing in this moment? Yeah. Right. He's showing a document to a, a reporter admitting it was not classified. Unbelievable. Also, um, not that it matters, but like he's he's clearly showing a plan for how you would attack Iran, uh, right? Uh, militarily, um, and and using it to argue. Which none of this matters now, but using it to argue that this means Millie wanted to attack Iran, and then Millie said that he wanted to attack Iran. Two things about that. One. It is the job of the Pentagon to constantly have courses of action for everything. Right. And, and then when the president asks for them, it is the job of the Pentagon to give them those plans. <laughs> so like he has them because he was like, I want to see an attack plan for Iran, right? And remember, mean we Millie just listened to. to a clip of Trump last week saying he's never read a memo for Millie. Do you, do you remember that, <laughs> yeah, Jason? Right. Forgot, that was I last week. I forgot. He's literally oh saying out loud that this is what it is. And I love the part where he says, uh, well, you know, I could, these are highly confidential secret. Uh, I could have declassified it. But, but no, I okay. didn't. And she's like, well, yeah, that's a problem. We got to figure out how to declassify it. She's like, that is a problem. And she laughs. And he's like, yeah, well, you know. What's um, funny is like the irony is he, he starts it off by saying this is going to win my case. And I think the irony, oh, that's beautiful. the irony of that sentence, I think that won't age well. Look, yeah. we're, we're probably 24 hours away from Trump claiming this is some AI generated audio. Well, let's talk about what he claimed, right? Uh, he... Let's see, his new defense, he says in, in, it was bravado, uh, which is interesting because it's Trump knowing he's in so much trouble that he's doing what he never does, which say he did something wrong or say that like anything that doesn't put him as the hero of every story. So he's saying uh, he's insisted, this is uh, yesterday, that he was not showing off classified documents in an audio clip uh, first published by CNN, in which he referred to highly confidential material and secret information. Uh, He says, I would say it was bravado. If you want to know the truth, it was bravado. I was talking and just holding up papers and talking about them, but I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. Like, what it doesn't make any sense uh i was holding up papers but not documents i was pretending i was showing he's basically like i was showing off it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense so by the way worth mentioning again and you 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 mentioned it briefly but cnn got this audio first i think they need a win so i want to make sure they get credit for that audio yeah, I think like on the stand, inevitably, somebody or in the courtroom, the prosecutors are going to be like, well, okay, you say you were just, it was just bravado, but you had the document, you refused to give it back. The person you're talking to has testified under oath that you showed them the document. So why, I, like, what's going on here? 
you're going to, I mean, in the closing, you're going to be able to be like, here's what he said in the audio. He said, look at this three times. He said, you know, <laughs> like, you don't even need to do that in cross-examination. You just right. do it in the, in the closing. Uh, and then I guess there's another defense that neither of us have seen that Brett is going to play for us that we haven't seen yet. So let's enjoy his, his latest defense, I guess it is, or before that, I don't know. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings? My voice was fine. What did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper, and nobody said I did anything wrong other than the fake news, which, of course, is Fox, too. Wow, so much there. Okay, that was amazing. He uh, looks rattled, I'd have to say. For he those does, things. and he sounds rattled. Yeah. He looks yeah. small in that video, honestly. Mm -hmm. He looks weird. But yeah, uh, so sure okay, he so he said uh he said, My voice was fine. I didn't I didn't say anything wrong. I haven't seen the audio. Which is <laughs> I think funny. he it was just crazy because it negates everything he said before that. <laughs> right, like, right. How do you know what you said? And yeah. you don't see audio. Yeah. You hear it, but whatever. And then uh followed by my favorite general Trump justification for all things unethical and illegal, which is nobody in the audio says I'm doing anything wrong. The people I showed the classified documents to did not object to seeing these state secrets and therefore it was okay. I mean, it's, um, well, it also invites the inevitable testimony from those people who will have cut deals by the time they get into the courtroom and say, you know what? This was really wrong. I was just nervous. And uh, I clearly know, like, it was illegal and yada, yada, yada. Well, I don't think they did anything. I'm trying to think. I'm not sure they did anything illegal. Um, I don't know what so, the laws are. And I also don't know how many of them came forward on their own versus were found. Right. You could imagine that as some of this stuff was going on, uh, like the early sort of indicators that Trump was holding on to documents, some of these people may have come forward at some point and just I think it was. Here probably subpoenaed by by the investigation because they they found out oh he had you know they looked at the other documents saw that he had a meeting with this person they probably maybe they deposed meadows and realized oh well he had a meeting with these people let's send them a subpoena for any recordings any notes and then that's and they were like well i'm not gonna i don't have a dog in this fight i'm not gonna violate a, a federal subpoena so then they just turned it over yeah. Oh, one thing I do know is if there's any ambiguity there, the prosecutors will just use that ambiguity to press these people to be as cooperative as possible, which right. if I were them, I would be as quiet. I don't know what they're, what they have to lose in terms of the right wing media environment, who these people are. But my sense is you want to just cooperate to the full extent you can in that situation. Well, at this point, their only risk of, of uh, legal culpability is not cooperating with a federal investigation is obstructing yeah. one. Right. Um, and so that's how they get in trouble. Um, right. And so, yeah. Anyway. To be continued. Yeah. Uh, by the, which, by the way, we should mention that he's only gone up in the polls over the last few days. Like yeah. his position in the Republican primary is only stronger than it was, you know, a week. It gets stronger every week, it seems like. Yeah, which I think is a reflection of him, but also like the candidates he's going against. Yeah, it, just like what's what's left of that party is so, it, it you know it, he's he's burnt the party to the ground. You know, mm -hmm. there's just nobody left really. Particularly the primary electorate, because yeah. if you are if you're just like yeah, you know, I'll vote Republican, you're probably not voting in the primary because you're not that excited about being a Republican. Right. So the primary is 
like like many primaries is the extreme and that's him that's he owns the extreme yeah well one thing i know is like we cannot allow these people to ever utter the word patriotism ever again after this (laughs) yeah i mean this is is about as bad as it gets all -hmm. right so let's talk about this rfk rogan interview It's apparently three hours i've watched parts of it i can't claim to have watched all three hours of it but uh Kennedy basically would just go on tangents about uh, his theory about mercury and aluminum and vaccines and how they cause autism, autoimmune disease, neurological disease, other diseases, um, how Wi-Fi or cell phone radiation causes tumors, ivermectin's effectiveness, hydro hydroxychloroquine as an alternative treatment for COVID, the military industrial complex, pesticides. Tons of stuff. And he, uh, it's not notable, honestly, like we could talk about Rogan forever, but like it's not notable that he appeared on Rogan. What I think was notable was that uh, a noted scientist, Peter Hotez, Dr. Peter Hotez, who himself has been on Rogan, who's a public health expert, um, basically tweeted about how this was misinformation. Rogan offered $100,000, which eventually grew for Hotez to debate RFK Jr. on the podcast. And Hotez turned it down under, like, I guess what we can call the uh, Mehdi Hassan rule, which is that experts shouldn't debate cranks. Uh, that's their justification of this. Um, I'm surfacing this because I do think this is an important discussion about how to engage with people like RFK Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a strong feeling about this. But I'd love to hear your take. Well, it is, it is the, like, as you sort of mentioned, it is right at the center of what listeners to the show deal with all the time, right? Like the whole concept here is we're trying to arm people to have these conversations with the people in their life who disagree. And a lot of those people are listening. To, I mean, I was just at work the other day and a couple of people asked me, they were like, what do you think about RFK Jr.? I'm He's a Democrat. a lot of that, a lot yeah. of RFK Jr. stuff. Yeah, and what I, I could just start with what I say to people, which is I don't get into, because I have a couple of people I work with who like, I don't think we're into the vaccine and stuff like that. And so I don't, I don't relitigate that. I just say, look, that dude's been through a lot of trauma in his life. You know, uh, like his dad and his uncle were violently, uh, you know, killed. They were assassinated. It was the most formative, it is the most formative thing about him and as, his as wife a young person suicide which i and, had just recently learned yeah during the I mean, divorce the, proceedings and and but like if you're that guy and you're born out of two events in american history that have launched more conspiracy theories than probably any other two events right um then it's like and you want to explain you need something that will make the world understandable it is I think pretty natural that you would become a conspiracy oriented person, that you would explain the world to yourself by believing in conspiracies and it being one conspiracy after another, because otherwise you as a young child had to just accept the idea that your dad and your uncle were just ripped away from you. Um, And, and in a, in a, in just the most public and formative way possible. And, and, and so and and in a way that created a trauma for the entire nation. So like, uh, you know, believing in conspiracy theories and explaining the world to yourself that way is a safe harbor, which I think is an insight into how a lot of people 
embrace conspiracy theories. And we've talked about this before that people embrace conspiracy theories because it makes the world easier to explain to yourself and to understand. And it creates a safe harbor for a sense of being overwhelmed by the events of the world. Right. And, and so that's how, I mean, just as an aside, when people ask me about it, I try and respond with empathy for this person rather than just saying he's a crazy person. Um, right. Now, with that said, I think that's why like, it would be hard for me to debate him um, because it would be hard for me to not talk about that with him. Maybe that would be the right thing. To me, the question of whether to debate the guy, because I do agree with the folks who are saying you can't intellectually quarantine this because it is spreading. It is like it's out there. People, as you just mentioned, people are asking both of us about it. So you have to meet it on the intellectual battlefield and respond. So then the question becomes, does that mean you actively respond to the claims and not directly to the person? And if you're to me, the question is, if you're going to try to debate the person, it all comes down to the environment and to the moderate. You can't yeah. go on Rogan and talk about vaccines with the guy. Well, I yeah. And let me let me let me play the devil's advocate here. I, and I'm not even just playing the devil's advocate. I actually do think he and or some public health experts should go on Rogan. First of all, this guy's already been on Rogan. So he already kind of agrees that this is a place to go to talk about science, mm -hmm. whether he agrees or not with it. Uh, I forget who made this analogy. It might have been Coleman Hughes or somebody who was like, this would be, these are public health experts, right? Your whole job mm -hmm. is to educate the public on public health and vaccine misinformation is among the greatest threats to public health that we have right now. Yeah. Huge percentages of people believe this stuff. So you have to educate the public, right? That's your job. And, and the analogy is like, it's as if you're a firefighter and then like the biggest wildfire that ever existed. And you say, well, I'm not going to go there because it's a mess, right? So yeah. to me, like this is the biggest wildfire that exists from public health perspective. And you have to go to the fire, right? The fire is Rogan. It's the biggest me megaphone, the biggest podcast in the world. And yes, Rogan is tilted on this, but, and this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but he's not He's not he's not Tucker Carlson, right? Rogan's the kind of guy who's going to sit there. He's not going to interject a ton. He may, you know, tip the scales here and there in somebody's favor, but he's largely going to let you hash it out. And if you're a public health expert, you'd expect that you can handle RFK Jr. Like, I know that he's been written books about this and like Yes, like there's this phenomenon that you and I have long talked about where when you're debating somebody, they can throw 20 crazy theories out faster than you can deal with them. But that's assuming you're not an expert on the thing that they're talking about. That's a good point. You know, like you'd assume public health experts. And I talked to somebody yesterday about this who's not a public health expert, but who very deftly, he called up like six public health experts, this guy named Isaac Saul, who has a really good uh, newsletter called Tangle. And he basically called up a bunch of public health experts, read RFK's books and read the articles and like very effectively was like, here's why RFK is wrong about this autism claim. And if he was on Rogan, Isaac Saul, a non-public health expert, he would have handled it really well. Now, like, I don't know who Tez is like, tolerance for the form of debaters or whatever, mm -hmm. but there has to be somebody out there who's a public health expert who'd be willing to take on this challenge. And I think it would do us a lot of good if somebody did. Well, you've persuaded me. Yeah. Um, well, I all think, right, my I job here is done. Yeah, I <laughs> guess I guess it comes down to having the time to... Uh, read all of RFK Jr. stuff and and be able to anticipate which crazy thing is going to be said. Yeah. Um, because because the, the problem, it's not just about having stuff to respond. It's RFK Jr. has had 
years to hone his bullshit to a point where it sounds simple and people like me who don't understand all the science can hear it and not know which of it is bullshit, but can understand what he's saying, even though what he's saying is not true. It can be put, I can, he can say it in a way where it seems very true. And the, and I can't look at it and go, oh, well, I see what's wrong with that. Whereas the other side of this, if you're responding to him, you probably don't have the practice in saying the truth in a way that is easily understood. Right. And that that is a huge disadvantage in a debate with a person who is making stuff up. Right. Is that, you know, if I can just say, look, the sky is blue because it reflects my car. And here <laughs> and 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 I have a blue car and in other places it's and clearly have you ever noticed? Yeah, if you look around, you would notice that anytime it's blue, there's a blue car. You may not be able to see it, but there's one within two miles. Yeah. If I can say that and you and you are going to explain all the different <laughs> reasons why the sky is blue. I'm going to go with the car thing because right. I understand the car thing. And, and, and if I've had years to hone the car thing into a bullshit thing, that's easy to understand. So that I think is the question is yeah. it's got to be somebody who has become an expert in making the hard stuff easy to understand. Right. Yeah. And that's what, you know, it was interesting in talking to this guy yesterday was that, he very quickly dispensed with it in a way that I thought was helpful. Because look, look, if you're debating RFK Jr. and he's like, cell phones cause this or that, what I would be doing in a debate with him is like, look, that's not what we're here to talk about. If people want to believe cell phones cause cancer, don't buy a cell phone. I'm not that concerned about that. What I am concerned about is uh, this claim you're making about vaccines and autism. And here's why people shouldn't buy into that argument. And and this guy Isaac laid out one thing after another. We didn't even start diagnosing autism. I'm, I'm, and I'm not going to get all these facts right, but like, like I think 1980 was the period of time when we started. And that's exactly when RFK starts the clock. So of course the rates of autism diagnoses are going to go up after that. He talked about the state-by-state -state variation and how like different states have different categories for this. And then he gave a long, long list of correlative measures, which is meant to be almost comical, for like, yeah, you could say the rise of autism and the rise of vaccines are linked, but you could also say the, the rise of AOL instant messenger. Like there's like a million things you could say correlated with it. And then he's like, and then here's 50 different studies that debunk this. And so you could take the one thing that, that RFK has like cited, which has been discredited, or the 50 different scientists on this side who say... There's no evidence for that. And then like, yeah, you're not gonna persuade everybody, but you'd be like, all right, that's like a couple of arguments that are different than just RFK spouting off on his own for three hours in the biggest podcast in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, if somebody does it, I just, they have to do a good job because if it, if RFK, if they don't do a good job, it yeah. does help him a lot. Yeah. Um, because then he slayed the dragon. Then he's not just a, a dragon slayer who talks about slaying. Then he's like a dragon then, slayer who like, slayed a dragon. But my point to people is then change the name of your profession. Then go to the, go yeah. into the private That's fair. That's go to the private health like business yeah. because like <laughs> we, we, then you could go talk to whoever you want, whatever close forums. But we need public health. We have a lot of public health people. Let's find uh, the few of them that can go on Rogan. Look, and Rogan is not that intimidating. I'm sorry. Neither is RFK for that matter. Like he, for all of his challenges, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to like steamroll you in the conversation. He's not a dynamic person. No. Uh, no, I agree with that. He is jacked, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. I've seen those memes. But 
Yeah, yeah, but which is fascinating because the guy who's against vaccines is clearly pro HGH. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, because like, I mean, just <laughs> like Robert F. Kennedy was not a beast. Robert F. Kennedy Sr. I mean, and uh, it's just you're like, okay, this is crazy. Um, and it said two things to me. It said one, this dude is into some supplements that are not legal, and two, it also said because at his age to be like that, and then two, it also said to me, I respect it. This dude has nothing to do now. <laughs> I mean, like you and I are, we're both fitness enthusiasts or whatever, and that's and and so like you know, yeah, I respect that, but like, but we're also fitness enthusiasts enough to know that. And like have worked, we, you know, we've been around fitness long enough to know that at, at his age to be in that, this guy doesn't have anything else happening in his life. <laughs> he has voluminous time, which is fine. It's not an indictment, but like he has voluminous time to work out. It's what he does most of the day, clearly, well, which is well, fine. Good well, for let's him. Hope, let's hope the voters give him more time to work yeah, out I think uh, they after will. selection. All right. Well, uh, grab an or. Yes. Uh, so my Gravenor, uh, is about, uh, it's PTSD awareness month. Uh, yesterday was PTSD awareness day. Um, which is not a thing I, you know, usually like I don't observe it. Um, but it's not like my people do not make, a, a we don't go somewhere for it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> That does mean that this documentary came out yesterday um, called Here is Better. Uh, and Here is Better is a documentary uh, that profiles four uh, veterans. It's about PTSD generally, but it does profile four veterans, um, including myself, uh, and our, our journeys through each different kinds of treatment uh, at the VA and and uh, or veteran-specific treatment um, to post-traumatic growth. Uh, and so there's a lot in this documentary. It's called Here is Better, uh, a lot about my story and, and Diana's story. So if people are interested, um, and people can go to hereisbetter.org uh, to find out about the film, but also there's a foundation there that's working on, um, you know, supporting these kind of treatments and that kind of thing and, and widening access to it. Um, but I'm really proud of it. And the reason that I chose to participate in it, because this, this all was uh, a few years ago that they shot most of it, um, while I was, you know, still going through treatment and everybody, you know, when I made my announcement that I was going to step back, everybody with a camera or a microphone or a pen reached out to me and I said no to everybody for like 10 months. And the reason that I did was because I didn't know anything really about PTSD yet. I was going through treatment and because every portrayal that I had seen and still most of the portrayals of PTSD are what I call PTSD porn. They're just voyeurism. They're just like, let's show someone in the throes of untreated uh, PTSD. And it's usually like, let's show a combat veteran who's, you know, uh, hitting his spouse after or her spouse after robbing a bank and shooting up heroin. And this was like, we want to tell the story that is much more common, which is veterans who, you know, get treatment and get better. Cause that's usually what happens when you get treatment. And so I was like, okay, I'm interested in, in telling that story and telling a post-traumatic growth story so that more people will go get help because they see that help actually helps. Uh, and so I'm and really proud of it. This, it's really good. You can get this on Apple TV. I think I saw you tweet because I'm yep. gonna, about to head on an eight-hour flight. So I'm going to download it and watch it 
over the Atlantic. There you go. And it's it's only an hour and a half, which is great. So it's uh, at, you can get on Apple TV, you can get on Amazon. Um, it was in theaters last week, but it's now it's streaming in those places. Uh, it has won a bunch of awards um, already. It's quite good. Uh, the New York Times gave it a great review, and uh, I, I didn't. I received no money from this. I, I'm a subject of the film. I don't get compensated in any way. I'm not one of the producers or anything like that. I just. Uh, I want people to know more about PTSD and the treatments because I think it's it's a good thing. So hereisbetter.org um, is awesome. is my grab and or. How, all right, so t- tell us about you're going on this. You're, well, you're I've been all over the place, right? man. Yeah, I was in Austin, Texas, to Jackson, Mississippi, to Clarksdale, Mississippi, to Oxford, Mississippi, to Memphis, Tennessee, back to New York, and then I'm after this podcast recording, I'm going to Italy uh, for a friend's 40th birthday party, and going to stick around for a little while just because I mean, why not if you're out there uh and i work remotely anyway but yeah i had a great time mississippi you know i i love mississippi i know we got listeners down there because they sent me messages while i was down there but it's such an underrated state i know it has its challenges but it is a really beautiful place i went i, I spent the night in clarksdale at this place called the shack up inn which is uh, a place where there's a bunch of old sharecroppers uh, shacks and then there's a blues club in the middle of it oh wow that's and cool. it was so incredible and this is like way off season because nobody except for lunatics like me go to mississippi in the middle of the summer but it's that place has so much going for it if anybody's ever seen the the bourdain uh episode about mm-hmm. it because he basically did the trip i did in that order he went from jackson that's to the delta to the, probably the best episode of that oh of it's that amazing show. i basically went to each one of those places that's and cool. And everybody's just so, so uh, wonderful. Like even when I was in Oxford, like on a moment's notice, there's this this guy who owns one of the best restaurants in Oxford, this guy named Vish, who just won the James Beard Award um, mm. for a book, that, a cookbook he wrote about Southern cooking infused with Indian uh, cuisine. And he he has this place called Snack Bar. And he invited me on a moment's notice within an hour to come meet him and his wife for dinner and oh, wound wow. up spending like four hours with dinner with them. and had way too much whiskey. I basically was like, oh, I'm going to spend the weekend in Oxford and get a lot of riding done. I ended up drinking so much whiskey <laughs> that the next day was just an utter disaster. Uh, but you should check out Mississippi. Go on the Blues Tour. There's a great book called um, Dispatches from Pluto. It's all about a British guy who bought a house in the Mississippi Delta, and I think he captures it really well. I just actually read it while I was down there. But I had a great time, and now I'm about to go to Italy. So yeah, I can't complain. Things are great. <laughs> rough deal. Yeah, rough deal. Right? Uh, all right. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Uh, well, thanks, everybody. Remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.